Look, folks, cable news is feeding the panic, but that's what they do. They're simply doing what they do best, overreacting to it on TV, so you panic and continue to tune in. <laughs> that's Eric Bowling, formerly of Fox News, complaining about cable news scaring you? Really? I got the feeling that something right. Oh, it ain't. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers oh, to the right. Boy. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. Yep. Yes, I'm stuck in the middle. From with Pacifica you. Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA. Also in Red Bluff and Redding, California, on KFOI, Round Mountains, KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. In Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ, out in Concord, New Hampshire on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ, in Seattle on KODX, stay safe Seattle, in Janesville, Wisconsin on WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast coast and around the globe every day on the internets on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Radio for Humans, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk, Blanketing Planet Earth. Five days a week, I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for... Joining us today uh, for another thrilling edition of the broadcast. My thanks first to Nicole Sandler for filling in for us on our previous broadcast so we could take care of some personal business and catch a little bit of much-needed downtime. Uh, or as Nicole called it, I don't know if you heard her, Des, she said uh, our need to increase our social distancing efforts. <laughs> At least from the administration in this new volcanic news cycle, yes, just for a little course, while. Of course, uh, Anyway, uh, good-ish to be back. Thanks for joining <laughs> us. Uh, you probably knew that the president of the United States was... Uh, mentally unbalanced, but I got to say, sometimes a story pops up that makes even me go, oh, my God, how sick and twisted is this guy? And I know this is sort of a meaningless story, but it just it, it kind of stopped me in my tracks today. An hour before Dr. Anthony Fauci threw the first pitch at the season opener between the New York Yankees and the Washington Nationals last week, Donald Trump stood on the briefing room stage at the White House and declared that he, too, had been invited to throw out his own opening pitch. Uh, <laughs> this, I think this is New York Times. Uh, Trump uh, referred to the uh, president of the Yankees team uh, by saying, Randy Levine is a great friend of mine from the Yankees, and he asked me to throw out the first pitch, and I think I'm going to do that on August 15th at Yankee Stadium. There was one problem, however, according to the Times. Mr. Trump had not actually been invited to do that Good by Lord. the Yankees. Really? Yeah, He just really. flat out... 
Wow. His announcement surprised both the Yankees and the White House staff. But according to the uh, Times, Trump had been so annoyed by Dr. Fauci's turn in the limelight, an official familiar with his reaction said that he had directed his aides to call Yankees officials and make good on a long-standing offer from Mr. Levine to throw out an opening pitch. After the president's announcement, White House aides scrambled to let the Yankees know that actually he was booked on August 15th. So actually he can't do it then, even though I don't know, he just kind of came up with that date out of nowhere. Over the weekend, uh, then Trump officially canceled (laughs) claiming on Twitter, quote, because of my strong focus on the China virus including scheduled meetings on vaccines, our economy, and much else, I won't be able to be in New York to throw out the opening pitch for the Yankees on August 15, as I made up out of whole cloth at the White House. I am canceling the thing that is not happening. Because I can't stand that Dr. Fauci is doing something that I am not doing. My God. I know. It just kind of caught me. And so continues the tense relationship, says the Times, between Trump, a president who hates sharing media attention, and Dr. Fauci, the nation's top infectious disease expert. Of course, that is just another example of the president's dangerously malignant narcissism. But really, it's just the tip of the iceberg of Trump's attempt to knock Fauci down a peg or two, if he can, as he looks for... uh, someone, anyone to blame for his own failures when it comes to the COVID-19 virus, which has now killed about 150,000 Americans over the past four or five months. But Donald Trump is concerned about who gets to throw the first pitch at a baseball game. As the prominence of the coronavirus task force faded in recent weeks, Dr. Fauci, who had once been on that coronavirus task force, Uh, He was left out of a new group of White House officials that now meets on the virus, which is led by top epidemiologist and presidential son-in-law Jared Kushner. Why would you want the nation's top renowned expert on infectious disease participating in the White House task force on the worst pandemic to hit the country, to hit the globe in more than 100 years when you can have your son-in-law Jared Kushner heading up the, the team? Nonetheless, Trump supporters hear his dog whistles about all of this, and they are happy to pick up the ball in attacking Dr. Fauci, who has now been forced to have a security detail protect him and his family since the administration started attacking him in various ways a couple of weeks ago. One of Trump's huge media supporters who are helping out, all too happy to help out, the uh, Sinclair Broadcast Group. They own about 200 television stations broadcasting over our public airwaves, not cable TV, Eric Bowling, but over our public airwaves. Uh, Well, Sinclair was preparing to run with this attack on Fauci, featuring a show that actually claimed Dr. Fauci created the coronavirus himself and shipped it to Wuhan, China. After already running that on one of their stations and then promising to retool the show after Media Matters for America reported on the many false claims included in that program, hosted, yes, by Eric Bowling. 
Well, as of today, Sinclair has announced they are pulling that program entirely. The man who first outed Sinclair for this programming joins us shortly uh, to discuss what happened here and why, frankly, it is so dangerous. I would argue even more dangerous than Fox News, to be frank. Uh, because these are our public airwaves. We'll get to that in a moment. But speaking of baseball, you know, <laughs> many often cite the game as a metaphor for life in various ways. George Will was famous for doing that all the time. Uh, I'll do the same today here, sort of, just just days after attempting to start up a truncated baseball season. Now 17 members of the Florida Marlins organization have tested positive for the coronavirus. 17. And now Major League Baseball announced on Tuesday that they have temporarily suspended the Marlins season through Sunday because of their worsening coronavirus outbreak. Moreover, three remaining games in this week's New York Yankees-Philadelphia Phillies series was postponed on Tuesday as well. In a statement, MLB said that it wanted to allow the Marlins time to focus on providing care for their players and plan for a resumption of play early next week. Well, good luck with that, Florida Marlins. I'm sure uh, just a week's time we'll we'll take care of it. 17 players on your uh, in your organization have the coronavirus, but stand down for a week. Everything should be fine. They, meanwhile, the Marlins remain stranded in Philadelphia, where they played last weekend. The Phillies-Yankees game through games through Thursday were postponed, quote, out of an abundance of caution after uh, the Marlins played Philadelphia, though no Philly uh, players have yet tested positive. The Marlins received positive test results for four additional players on Tuesday. Their outbreak raised new questions about baseball's attempts to conduct a season outside of a so-called bubble environment, which has so far worked so far for the NBA with all players living at uh, Disney World in Florida and playing all of their games inside that bubble. The National Hockey League plans something similar, but the NFL has opted not to create such a bubble for its season this year. Good luck to them. Dr. Fauci, who is a huge baseball fan, said Major League Baseball, the players, the owners, the managers have put a lot of effort into getting together and putting protocols that we feel would work. It's very unfortunate. What happened, he said. Yes, what happened after just about three days of restarting the season. Uh, Major League uh, MLB said that among more than 6,400 tests conducted since Friday, there were no new positive uh, tests of on-field personnel from any of the other 29 teams so far. So that's good, at least. But if Major League Baseball, with all of the hundreds of millions of dollars that it has to put into trying to keep players safe, including being able to conduct 6,400 tests since just last Friday, if they can't keep their players safe, after just about three days into their truncated, supposedly hyper-careful COVID season, with all sorts of precautions to keep the players safe and to keep fans at home, what chance does your local school district have at keeping your children safe? As the Trump administration and his twisted supporters continue to, to push 
for schools to reopen five days a week for in-person classes next month. And they're not providing any extra funding for schools to do all the measures that they nope. need to and acquire all the materials and resources that they would need for that. Nope. This exact same thing that happened with with baseball is going to happen as soon as the schools reopen. I suspect it'll be within days of schools reopening. Someone will get sick, a classroom, a school, a district, and yeah, they'll have to call it all off. Just like they may have to call off the whole baseball season. We will see. So yeah, baseball is a metaphor for life. And in this case, life in our public schools uh, very shortly, unless people like Florida Governor Rick DeSant- Ron DeSantis uh, is forced to come to his senses Uh, or at least face reality. Here's some help for Ron DeSantis. This comes from the uh, HuffPost today. As Florida schools prepare to reopen next month under a push from Republican Governor Ron DeSantis touting the need for in-person instruction, state health officials reported disturbing new statistics about the increase in coronavirus cases and hospitalizations among the state's children. The state had 31,150 COVID cases reported among people under 18 as of July 24. More than 31,000 cases of kids under 18. That is a 34% jump from just eight days earlier on July 16. 34% jump in just a week. Perhaps even more concerning, the latest data show 303 youth hospitalizations. So they're not just getting sick and taking it home and infecting other people and, uh, you know, a bad case of the sniffles, as Donald Trump likes to say. More than 300 have now been hospitalized in Florida alone for COVID-19. That is up 23% from a week earlier on July 16th. About one-third of those cases are in, ch- are in children from 14 to 17 years old, followed by 67 cases of children who are under the age of one. Mm. 67 hospitalized children. But, you know, most of them, they just get just a bad case of the sniffles, according to the President of the United States, and we've got to get them back in classes, according to the Governor of Florida. The data is, of course, at odds with the narrative that Donald Trump's administration continues to promote, that the disease has a negligible effect on school-aged children. Trump and his education secretary, Betsy DeVos, have stressed that schools must prioritize a return to in-person classroom settings. Trump said at a press briefing just last week, quote, they don't catch it easily. They don't bring it home easily. Pretty much just making stuff up which was easy to do because Dr. Fauci wasn't at the briefing. He wasn't welcome, and neither, apparently, was even Dr. Burks. She's at least on this new uh, coronavirus task force led up by Jared Kushner. Uh, Dr. Fauci apparently is not. So we now have the president of the United States who knows absolutely nothing about infectious disease, nothing, or if he does, he's lying about what he does know telling American parents that their kids won't catch the virus easily or they won't take it home. 
Why is he doing that? Well, because he's up for re-election in 98 days, but who's counting? And if he can just keep on lying about this stuff for just 98 more days, maybe he'll pull it off. That, of course, is his thinking. The uh, White House press secretary, Kaylee McEnany, also dismissed the risk of reopening schools with in-person instruction. She said, quote, we don't think our children should be locked up at home with devastating consequences when it's perfectly safe for them to go to school, she said at another White House briefing. Perfectly safe. This isn't Fox News, man. It's the bully pulpit of the White House, for Christ's sake. And for the president and his press secretary to be going out and spreading that kind of disinformation to the American public? The overall positive, uh, the rate of uh, positive cases among uh, youth in Florida is now 14.4 percent, according to the state health department on Sunday. In other words, 14.4 percent of those kids who are tested are coming back as positive. The World Health Organization has advised that governments track 14 day con uh, consecutive days of a positivity rate below 5 percent before easing any virus-related restrictions. Florida is not even close to 5% positivity rate for kids, for children, much less for 14 days in a row, and yet they are moving ahead with their plan to reopen schools. I don't even know if they will make it the three days it took before Major League Baseball had to stand down because of the virus. DeSantis is continuing to strongly urge all Florida school districts to resume in-person instruction in August. The state's education commissioner uh, appointed by DeSantis, a guy by the name of Richard Corcoran, earlier this month, he signed an order requiring school districts to offer the option of a traditional five-day-a-week on-campus schedule. Of course, while parents may have the option of whether they want to send their kids there, that order does not offer uh, teachers the option of staying home if they would like. Florida is now in the midst of one of the nation's worst coronavirus outbreaks in the country. In the past week, it has tallied more cases per capita than any other state. And I know they love to show California. Look, California is failing, too. They've got all kinds of cases. Yes, we do. But per capita? Florida destroys California. Florida destroys just about everyone at this point per capita. California is way down on the list. We got a lot of cases out here, but per capita, we got a lot of people out here. Anyway, we'll talk more about the dangers of uh, misleading information about the coronavirus and, and how it's being spread, not only by the president of the United States, but the media outlets who support him. And it's not only the cable news outlets who support him. Outrageously enough, this is being spread over our public airwaves. We'll speak in a moment with Media Matters' Zach Pleats about that. Uh, but very quickly here, if I have uh, a, a quick moment, uh, Attorney General Bill Barr, uh, testified before the U.S. House uh, Judiciary Committee today. It was his first time ever speaking to the U.S. House Judiciary Committee. I think it was the first time in a year that he spoken to anyone in Congress. Uh, it was a contentious hearing, though not all that much was learned. The hearing was held um, on Tuesday as the late civil rights icon John Lewis himself laid in state, just steps away outside the Capitol 
highlighting the widening election year gulf between the two parties on police brutality and systemic racism and law enforcement. Barr uh, claimed that, quote, violent rioters and anarchists have hijacked legitimate uh, protests around the country by way of justifying sending out federal stormtroopers around the country. He he claimed that the killing of George Floyd was horrible and prompted a necessary national reckoning on the relationship between the black community and law enforcement, but he said there was no systemic racism in law enforcement. The hearing, of course, comes uh, what covered all sorts of things since he hasn't been there for a year, but it uh, comes after a string of of tumultuous uh, activity from the Department of Justice, specifically from Bill Barr, taking actions that have been cheered on by Donald Trump. Among them, the decision to drop the prosecution of former Trump administration national security advisor Michael Flynn for lying about his conversations with Russia during the uh, investigation into Russian interference in the 2016 election. And Barr's urging for a more lenient sentence for uh, Trump ally Roger Stone, who Trump later commuted uh, his sentence entirely. That after Roger Stone also lied to federal investigators during the investigation into Russian interference uh, in 2016. We may talk more about Barr's testimony as the week goes on. But uh, while he talked a lot about the need to follow the rule of law, uh, he offered this curious response to Rhode Island Congressman David Cicilline in this uh, short exchange that may give you even more reason to be concerned about the election 98 days from today, as if you needed any. Is it ever appropriate, sir, for the president to solicit or accept foreign assistance in an election? It depends what kind of assistance. No. Is no. it ever appropriate for the president or presidential candidate to accept or solicit foreign assistance of any kind in his or her election? No, it's not appropriate. Okay, okay. sorry you had to struggle with that one, Mr. Attorney General. Yeah, no kidding. Oh, of any kind. Oh, oh, you meant of any kind. Well, in that case, no, it's not appropriate. Yeah, the whole hearing was like that. So uh, Ellen Weintraub, the uh, chair of the Federal Elections Commission, had to once again release a statement uh, on Twitter saying, I would not have thought I would need to keep saying this. But once again, she uh, posted her statement saying that it is she that she wanted to make 100 percent clear to the American public and anyone running for public office. It is illegal for any person to solicit, accept or receive anything of value from a foreign national in connection with a U.S. election. She goes on to say it's not a novel concept. Our founding fathers uh, talked about exactly this, trying to keep our elections safe from foreign influence. Uh, That's the Federal Elections Commission. At this point, that's all she can do is pretty much tweet because the uh, FEC is now uh, completely broken. broken. Yeah. So listen, we're going to be policing ourselves here. Don't count on the Justice Department to do anything but make matters worse between now and Election Day. Uh, During which, by the way, I fully expect uh, Bill Barr to interfere with the upcoming election by offering some bogus announcement about investigations or phony prosecutions of officials who worked to investigate the alleged Russian interference in the 2016 election. But uh, we're on our own here and up against some very powerful forces, including the companies that have taken ownership of what are supposed to be our public airwaves. 
That story is next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Welcome back. It's the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. On Tuesday, Donald Trump Jr. was temporarily thrown into what we used to call Twitter jail. The private social media platform slapped temporary restrictions on the president's son for posting a video published by far-right media outlet Breitbart News, which, when the same video was yanked by Facebook, that company claimed that it peddled false information about cures and treatments for COVID-19. YouTube, along with Facebook and Twitter, also pulled the video originally posted by Breitbart, featuring four people who identified themselves as doctors speaking in front of the U.S. Supreme Court building. One said that people do not need to wear face masks and attacked, quote, fake doctors who suggested otherwise. The video also revived Trump Sr.'s promotion of hydroxychloroquine, which peer-reviewed studies to date have not found to be an effective treatment for COVID-19 and, in fact, has been found to be dangerous and even deadly when used by some patients. Twitter notified the president's eldest son that he had violated the company's policy on, quote, spreading misleading and potentially harmful information related to COVID-19. Trump Jr. was then restricted from tweeting, retweeting, following new accounts and liking posts for 12 hours. The move comes as part of Twitter's crackdown on the Breitbart video, which pushes these uh, claims from self-identified doctors asserting that people, quote, don't need masks because hydro hydroxychloroquine, the president's purported miracle drug, will, quote, cure COVID-19. The president himself actually retweeted the video on Monday night before Twitter deleted it, though he was not forced into Twitter jail. Perhaps the DOJ's Office of Legal Counsel has determined that a sitting president can't go to Twitter jail either. I don't know, but I digress. Tweets with the video are in violation of our COVID-19 misinformation policy, a Twitter spokesperson said in a statement. As part of the policy, Twitter pledges to, quote, prioritize removing content when it has a clear call to action that could directly pose a risk to people's health or well-being. It sounds like Twitter did the right thing here in policing itself and its own standards when it comes to circulating dangerous information that could lead to untold numbers of deaths. It's a private company and can allow or disallow whatever it likes on its own platform. Constitutional freedom of speech requirements only apply to government institutions and laws which are barred from infringing on the right to free speech. But who polices private companies which present the same information to an arguably larger audience when they are not willing to police themselves, particularly when those private companies have been granted access by the government, by we the people, 
to our limited and regulated public airwaves. That, apparently, is left to we the people. Late last week, Zachary Pleat of Media Matters for America detailed that uh, Sinclair Broadcasting Group's America This Week program, hosted by the disgraced and fired Fox News personality Eric Bowling, was airing a similar claim about the coronavirus, along with an attack on Dr. Anthony Fauci, actually charging that he helped manufacture the virus and sent it to Wuhan, China. Sinclair is the second largest television station operator in the U.S., owning or operating nearly 200 local stations across the country in over 100 markets covering some 40% of American households, many of which are located in the South and Midwest. They are not a cable outlet. They actually are granted free access to our public airwaves in exchange for serving in the public's interest. In this case, apparently, the public interest included featuring a discredited researcher who has claimed that wearing a mask will, quote, activate the coronavirus and that Anthony Fauci is responsible for COVID-19. Yep, this was uh, Bowling's uh, interview with uh, Judy Mikovits, who became famous in a conspiracy documentary video uh, called Plandemic, one of the videos banned by Twitter and other social media platforms for containing potentially harmful misinformation about COVID-19. Bowling introduced Mikovits as, quote, an expert in virology who previously, quote, worked with Dr. Anthony Fauci. As Media Matters' Zach Pleat reports, Mikovits gained notoriety after she made multiple false and misleading claims about the coronavirus and public health in that documentary Plandemic, arguing that mandatory coronavirus vaccines will, quote, kill millions and that flu vaccines increase the odds by 36 percent of getting COVID-19. Mikovits also asserted that it is, quote, insanity to close beaches because somehow the sand and healing microbes in the ocean will actually help treat the virus. And yes, she also touts hydroxychloroquine as a treatment for the virus, despite multiple studies casting doubts on its efficacy, as well as the claim that the death count from COVID-19 is being inflated. Bowling has previously spread similar dangerous misinformation about the virus on his Sinclair program, again available on hundreds of television stations across the country over our public airwaves. Well, over the weekend, following Media Matters reporting, Sinclair Broadcasting Group released a statement addressing, quote, feedback that the company had received about that program. The company stated that it was, quote, a supporter of free speech and a marketplace of ideas and viewpoints, even if incredibly controversial, they said. Hours later, the company announced that it would delay airing the episode featuring Mikovits and instead instruct its local news stations to just re-air the previous week's episode of Bowling's program. But as Media Matters found, the segment had already aired on at least one local station, one in uh, Charleston, West Virginia, and had for a time been available to stream from its website, where it has now also been scrubbed with a note, without a note, or a correction of any kind. Bowling claimed to CNN's Oliver Darcy that he was unaware of Mikovitz's plandemic video before interviewing her, and which, 
seems hard to believe, and uh, he shifted the blame to others on the show's production team for the booking as well as the on-screen graphics used during the episode featuring all-caps titles like Did Dr. Fauci Create Coronavirus? And Was COVID-19 Created in a Lab? Well, on Tuesday, CNN's Darcy reported that Sinclair has decided that, quote, upon further review, it has decided not to air Eric Bowling's interview with the conspiracy theorist Judy Mikovits. Sinclair added, quote, given the nature of the theories she presented, we believe it is not appropriate to air the interview. But why? Why wouldn't they? I thought Sinclair was a supporter of free speech and a marketplace of ideas and viewpoints, even if incredibly controversial. Does it have anything to do with the fact that uh, also late last week, Dr. Fauci said during an interview that he and his family were assigned a security detail in response to the, quote, serious threats they have been dealing with amid the Trump administration's efforts to undermine his credibility? Joining us now is the man who helped break this story last week and caused a lot of trouble for uh, for uh, Sinclair. So we already owe him a thanks. Zachary Pleat is a senior researcher at Media Matters for America, which follows Sinclair closely, very closely, as someone obviously needs to. Zachary Pleat, welcome to the broadcast, sir. Thank you for having me on, Brad. Uh, Zach, many people... Um, may have heard about Sinclair Broadcasting, I think, for the first time back in uh, 2018 when the company was forced, uh, well, when, the, when they forced all of their local stations to air a script in which the trusted local anchors were, were forced to echo Donald Trump by decrying fake news, leading to outrage from some of those uh, newsrooms and even some resignations. Now, Fox News is dangerous because, you know, we know what they do, but at least we know who and what they are. Many of uh, people have no idea who and what Sinclair Broadcast Group actually is and what they do. So who are they? What do they do? Uh, and why do you see them as so insidious uh, even before this COVID conspiracy program? So one thing Sinclair Broadcast Group used to do was carry what was essentially pro-Trump propaganda as a mandatory, quote-unquote, must-run segment on either most or virtually all of its local TV stations that it owns or operates around the country. Mm-hmm. Um, this used to be, this used to feature commentary from a former Trump campaign official named Boris, Boris Epstein, mm-hmm. but they see as doing that, I believe, late or mid-last year. What I've been examining lately is the news segments that are pre-recorded by Sinclair National Correspondents and run as part of local news programs on television stations around the nation. Mm -hmm. Usually they're prefaced with, um, this is from a Sinclair National Correspondent named Christine Frizzell or Scott Thuman or something like that. But I've also seen a couple of instances where they're introduced as a correspondent just from the local station instead. Mm. And that's one of the things that I know we uh, spoke with your colleague uh, Pam Vogel from uh, Media Matters a couple of years ago when that story about uh, Sinclair forcing their local news anchors to read that script. One of the things that she noted was they're more dangerous in one sense than Fox News because they own stations uh, affiliates, uh, you know, ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox affiliates. 
Uh, they have trusted anchors who, who uh, you know, are forced to run these segments. Have they become more clear about the fact that this is a Sinclair uh, script or a Sinclair segment? Uh, or, are these still sort of, or, or are they still sort of able to run under the radar with this uh, Donald Trump propaganda? I think they still mostly run under the radar because it's not um, a separate segment that's introduced as just commentary. It's presented as factual news reporting mm-hmm. from their corporate reporters that are based in D.C. And I found that dozens of those reports in recent months have contained a lot of conservative misinformation. Is the uh, show, is Bowling's show, is that a segment that goes into the news slots, or is that actually a standalone uh, program that is made available by, um, by Sinclair to their, to their stations? That's a standalone program that usually airs over the weekends, although it's usually released for streaming on several Sinclair station websites on Wednesday nights. Um, Usually it tends to air at very odd hours, so it probably doesn't get much viewership. Mm -hmm. And often some of the local stations will air just part of the episode and then direct their audience to watch the rest on their local station website if they want to. Is that program more clearly a product of uh, of Sinclair? Um, as, yes. As I far as how so. it's presented, uh, is, you know, or is it? Pre- it's not presented as if it's coming from the local station itself. Correct. It's definitely identified as its own uh, program. Now there are a lot of people who uh, actually do buy into this uh, uh, uh pandemic theory that. Uh, wearing masks actually causes COVID somehow, that the virus was man-made, that Dr. Fauci was somehow behind this grand scheme uh, for, I think, uh, unknown reasons at this time. I don't know, maybe so that he can become rich, I guess, <laughs> selling the selling the vaccine. I, I, it's unclear to me why, why these arguments are being even made. Uh, now, Sinclair says that it believes in airing all viewpoints and that there was a Fox News doctor who was also interviewed by Bowling on the show after Mikevitz, questioning Mikevitz's claims. Uh, now, I didn't see the show. It was pulled before I was able to. But what's wrong with airing those viewpoints uh, if they are countered by additional experts uh, fact-checking uh, the claims, as you see it. What, what's wrong with with airing those controversial views, as, as they describe it? Well, in the first place, in a situation where we're in now, where so many people have died, and so many people are still dying every single day, I think it's just irresponsible to have these kind of absurd claims air at all. The second problem with it is the doctor did not really rebut her claims very well. She, in fact, introduced her own suggestion that she believes one possibility is that the virus was man-made, just not by Dr. Fauci. Okay. <laughs> so so they, they had someone that they could go and claim, oh, we're fair and balanced, because we had someone who was uh, responding to those claims but didn't really... Uh, expose them to be untrue. Since we have a, a First Amendment that applies to, you know, what laws and rules the government can make with regard to free speech, 
Is this the way it should work, you know, with with private citizens like yourself, Zach Pleat, working with an organization, Media Matters, uh, holding companies like Sinclair to account? Or should cases like these be taken into account when stations owned by Sinclair actually come up for license renewal? In other words, is there anything more that can be done other than uh, watchdogs like yourself and my myself calling these uh, these these companies out for this behavior? Well, there are activist campaigns that do challenge the license renewals of companies such as Sinclair, and I think that's fair game. They do have a responsibility to present accurate information, especially, again, during such a life-and-death crisis that we're currently going through. Can a case be made that they are not, in fact, serving the public interest here uh, as required by their licensing agreement? I don't think people understand. These uh, stations, radio stations and uh, television stations, uh, essentially get to use the public airwaves for free, and the only thing they really have to do is promise to serve in the public interest. And I don't know. When I hear stories like this, uh, Zach, stories that you know can result in people dying because of what they're hearing on the TV stations or the radio stations, that doesn't seem to me like it's the public interest. Yeah, I'm not a lawyer, but I personally agree that they are not serving the public interest right now. And have you heard of any organized efforts yet to, uh, to hold Sinclair accountable? I know that... Uh, uh, there was one, uh, Tom Mattis, he's a, a clean energy entrepreneur. He said on Twitter over the weekend, I think, that he would fund campaigns to actually challenge the FCC licenses of uh, any Sinclair station that airs Bowling's uh, pandemic broadcast. Have you heard of any uh, actually organized efforts yet to hold them uh, accountable like this in some fashion? Yes, I believe the organization Free Press is working on a campaign like this, but I... And not up to date on its status. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. Well, I'm gl- I'm glad Free Press is on this. I'm glad somebody is on it uh, after you exposed it. Uh, I've said in the past, uh, Zach. I, I want to get your thoughts on this before I let you go. I- I'm I'm sort of I, I struggle with this because I'm not entirely comfortable with major platforms like Twitter and YouTube sort of becoming the arbiter of what is acceptable discourse and what is not when it comes to ideas. And I'm not talking about threats of violence or, or personal or racist attacks, etc. Um, you know, that said, on my own, after I've given several warnings, uh, I will you know, ban commenters at the Brad blog if they are posting what I believe to be knowing disinformation. So I sort of go back and forth on this. Do you have concerns uh, about uh, private companies like Twitter and Facebook? I mentioned at the top of the segment uh, that are now, you know, banning at least for 12 hours Don Jr., um, is is that the right tactic for them to take? Should they be the arbiters of what is acceptable discourse and what is not? You know, I, I wonder, I fear, Zach, that, well, now they're doing something that we agree with, but later they may be banning or finding acceptable discourse, uh, you know, something that you and or I believe in that they that they wish to ban. Do you do you share my concerns about that? I understand that concern, but at the same time, anyone who uses these platforms also has to agree to the terms of service that these platforms have created. Mm -hmm. The problem lies in those platforms 
having good terms of service and actually enforcing them when they're broken. And all too often they refuse to do so when it's conservatives who violate it. That's true. They do. The, the right-wingers do know how to work the refs. Uh, Zach, is this, uh, so w- what's the story now on Bowling's uh, program? First, they said they were going to retool it to do, I guess, better fact-checking. And uh, as of Tuesday, I guess they say that's it. We're, we're not going to run this program as all, at all. Is that it? Is it dead? Is it gone? Did you, did you kill it, Zach? <laughs> um, from what I've seen of the statement Sinclair has released, the interview itself is gone. They might re-air the episode minus that interview later on. That episode also had interviews of Senator Tom Cotton, um, interviews of some of the Trump for Women people working for his campaign, or Women for Trump, rather. Uh Also a discussion with Sebastian Gorka and Amicia Cross about the Black Lives Matter protest still going on. So I don't know if they'll... Like delay a further episode to re-air most of that episode, or if they'll just reintroduce it back to their websites. As uh, I'm speaking with you, Zach, I just get a uh, heads-up alert from NBC News that says Dark Money and PAX coordinated the reopen push and are behind the doctor's viral hydroxychloroquine video shared by Trump and his son, and I guess his uh, his son got uh, uh, thrown in Twitter prison for it, but not uh, Donald Trump himself. Uh, are you surprised that there's actually much more to this than just uh, Sinclair Broadcasting making bad programming decisions? No, unfortunately not at all. I did read um, earlier today that one of the old Tea Party organizations was actually behind that event in dc where that doctor said all that crazy stuff Mm, of course they uh of course they are the tea party i think is about to come back with a vengeance if joe biden ends up getting elected we will see uh zach uh, zachary pleat senior researcher at media matters really appreciate your work here really appreciate you suffering through uh sinclair broadcasting programs to uh to let the rest of the country who doesn't even have access to those stations out here in los angeles as far as i know uh thanks for letting us know what they're doing and uh holding their feet to the fire really appreciate it sir My pleasure. Thank you for having me on. You bet. You can find Zach's article at MediaMatters.org. Headline, Sinclair Gives Plandemic Conspiracy Theorists a Platform to Spread Their Lies About Dr. Fauci and the Coronavirus. You can find them on the Twitters at MMFA. And you can find Zach himself at ZPleet on the Twitters. Thanks, Zach. Thank you. So actually, I just want to jump in real quick and let you know, because you may not be aware that in here in Los Angeles, KTLA is a Sinclair-owned broadcasting station. Really? Yes, yes, it is. See, that's exactly my point. Even I didn't know that. And KTLA is a big station out here in Los Angeles. KTLA is a huge station out here. My former employer, actually. And they are owned by Tribune Media, which was then acquired by Sinclair Uh, a couple of years ago. Very uh, big consternation among all of the uh, employees that were still there that I personally knew about how Sinclair was going to try to muck it up. See there, that kind of makes my point, is that people don't even know. I don't even know. I watched KTLA, had no idea that it was actually a Sinclair station. Yep, sneaky. (sighs) Sneaky and insidious, and uh, one of the reasons we need to uh, just review... 
you know, there are so many of these stations, whether it's TV stations, whether it's radio stations that just echo right wing propaganda, corporatist propaganda. They have been doing it for years, decades at this point. And as I've been arguing for many of those decades, the reason we are in the place we're in right now, the reason we are so screwed, the reason we could even think of electing someone like Donald Trump as president of the United States is because of what happens on our public airwaves. And the FCC does nothing about it, and this is not serving in the public interest. And, you know, until we reform the media, this is only going to continue to get worse and worse. Yeah, I agree. All right, well... Getting better and better. It's uh, Desi Doyen in the Green News Report coming up after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your Bradcast. Hey, this is Brad. The Bradcast survives thanks to you and your support. Please stop by bradblog.com slash donate today to help us continue to do over your public airwaves what we try to do five days a week. That's bradblog.com slash donate, and thank you. You know, Desi Doyen, I know you uh, tried to take a little bit of downtime over the weekend. Yep. And what's the thanks you get? <laughs> Two different hurricanes and coming out of nowhere, yeah. and it ain't even close to over yet. Uh, as we discuss in our latest Green News report. Two hurricanes hitting two states over just one weekend. California plugs in the world's largest battery. Shocking. Plus, the fight is nowhere near over. Trump administration takes major step toward approving Alaska's controversial pebble mine. All of those rocky roads and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. What sells Alaska's seafood in general is that it comes from the pristine waters of Alaska. And how can you say that when you've got the world's largest open pit mine up in your headwaters of your largest salmon fishery? Well, I guess you can't. Don't worry, Alaskan fishermen. Ivanka Trump's got a website for you. Findsomethingnew.org. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Dorian, just a few days ago on our previous GNR, you were warning that the seventh named hurricane of the season, Gonzalo, was forming in the Atlantic Ocean. Now it's gone. <laughs> yes. So you were wrong about hurricanes. <laughs> no. In fact, everything is escalating quite quickly. Just a day after Tropical Storm, Gonzalo made history as the earliest ever G-named storm in an Atlantic hurricane season. Hurricane Hannah spun up in less than 24 hours. Where'd that come from? Exactly. And quickly made landfall on the southern Texas Gulf Coast on Saturday, a region that is already struggling with a very serious COVID-19 outbreak. And the last thing they need is a hurricane bringing flooding, widespread damage, power losses, and more strain on health care facilities. And it's still only July. Exactly. Hannah is the first actual hurricane of 2020 and also made history as the earliest eighth named Atlantic storm ever recorded, which we normally don't see until mid or late September. The Atlantic and the Gulf of Mexico are both unusually warm right now, and that is fueling this rapid string of 
storms. Over in the Pacific, Hawaii got a close brush from Hurricane Douglas over the weekend. Douglas also has made extreme weather history. According to the National Hurricane Center, no hurricane on record has ever tracked so close to the island of Oahu. Douglas is the seventh hurricane to seriously threaten the Hawaiian islands in the past seven years, which previously had only seen five hurricanes in 60 years since 1950. It's almost as if something is going on here. <laughs> Indeed, as climate scientists have been warning, as man-made global warming accelerates, the waters of the Pacific and the Atlantic are warming, pushing past the threshold where hurricanes are likely to form and grow. Hurricanes in Hawaii used to be a once-in-a-decade thing, maybe, and now it's almost annual. Meanwhile, in Alaska, the Trump administration and the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has issued its final environmental impact statement for the controversial Pebble Mine, a truly massive proposed copper and gold mine that would be the largest in North America. The Corps concluded that the mine would not pose serious environmental risks. That is a sharp reversal from findings by the Obama administration's Environmental Protection Agency, which found that the mine's construction, operations, and toxic waste would permanently harm the pristine watershed of Bristol Bay, home to the world's largest salmon fishery. A broad coalition of Alaska native tribes, commercial fishing, and sport fishing groups have been trying to stop the pebble mine for nearly 20 years because of the environmental damage that it would cause if developed. And that includes the threat of a catastrophic failure of a planned massive tailings dam where the mine's toxic mining waste would be stored high above the bay in perpetuity in earthquake country. You know, I, I got to say, between Trump opening up ANWR for oil drilling and giving approval to the Pebble Mine, Alaska voted for Donald Trump in 2016. Are they going to do it again in 2020? Really? That's an excellent question. Nellie Williams of the outdoor recreation group Trout Unlimited in an interview with KTUU in Anchorage underscored the necessity of keeping Bristol Bay pristine. That thriving fishery supports a thriving community and thriving industry and thriving businesses and a thriving economy. And, you know, that's all we have to do is, is keep it intact and it will keep giving the state for a long time. The final environmental impact statement is not the final word. The Coalition of Residents and National Environmental Groups plan to challenge the permit in court, and the next administration could block it once again if Democrats win the White House in November. Pebble Mine is just one of several polluting infrastructure projects that could change depending on the outcome of the 2020 presidential election and control of the Senate. It's as if there's a lot at stake on November 3rd. Finally, there is some good news. Southern California has now connected the largest battery in the nation to its electric grid. The 250-megawatt Gateway Energy Storage Project in San Diego County will come online in August, storing zero carbon energy from wind and solar projects to stabilize the state's grid against brownouts. It will be the largest battery storage system in the world, but only for a few years until the next larger energy storage projects come online. And they are coming. For much more on all of those stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyan. And this has been your Green News Report. Uh-huh. Yep.
I think there's a double entendre in that song. That's I all I'm just saying. I believe there is. Uh, this is true. Yeah. Uh, so good. So some good news out here in California when it comes to batteries. Yes. The world's largest. Yeah, is for lar- now. Uh, for, by the way, is it larger than that one that uh, Tesla, Elon Musk built down there? Down in, in South Australia? Yeah. Yes, it is. All right, so we're going to see a lot of those coming Yes, up. there's a, a ton of them. A ton, of course, is the technical term. A ton of them that are underway right now, under construction, right now in the United States. And hopefully they will continue under construction. And the Trump administration, they're trying to, but will not scotch those too. Oh, they're going to scotch everything. They're going to try. Everything they can. And so uh, thank you for underscoring, once again, this pebble mine, all of these things. The pebble mine, this is a fight that's been going on for years, just like the Keystone XL pipeline, going on for years. Trump comes in, says, yeah, you can do it. We don't care. We, you know, never mind the environmental impact studies. Just do it. Do whatever you want. All of that is now uh, uh, up for uh, a vote on November 3rd. Yes, everything that, uh, well, not everything, but most things that have been done can be undone in some fashion. But the first step to undo those things requires people voting. Lots and lots and lots of people voting. And taking over the Senate. So (laughs) there you go. Yeah, well, that's if lots of people vote, that'll happen too. Uh, bigly, One but we'll see. We, we'll, we got a lot. Oh, it's going to be a hellish 98 days. All right, that's it. We got to get out of here. Uh, my thanks to my guest today, Zach Pleat of Media Matters, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. If you missed any portion of today's program or any other, you can download it anytime for free at bradblog.com. That is made possible by those of you who support our work over your public airwaves where we believe it's incumbent upon us to get it right and to tell you the truth and not abuse those public airwaves. Am I right, Sinclair Broadcasting? Uh, Anyway, uh, those of you who help us out to continue doing that are the ones who stop by bradblog.com slash donate. We rely only on you to stay on the air. If you'd like, you can drop me email. I am bradcast at bradblog.com. And on the Facebooks and the Twitters, you will find me at the Brad Blog. We'll see you there until we see you here tomorrow. I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world. <laughs> <laughs>